Okay, so today's Bible reading is from Romans chapter 8, and we'll be reading from verse uh, 23 to 25. Now, if you have got one of those church Bibles, it's on page 1133. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Well, welcome to you if you're here for the first time or you're back from holidays. Uh, it's great to be with you and to open up God's Word together. And uh, we're coming to the end of our summer series. Uh, so more than likely, most of us haven't been here for the whole series. Uh, it's a series where we've been thinking about how you would fix the world and different ways that we think that needs to happen. We looked at the last few weeks at the three big things that uh, people often say, you fix people, you fix the authorities, you fix um, religion. Today, we move towards the question, how would you fix the world assumes that you can fix it, but can we? Can we actually fix the world? And so I'm going to be thinking about that today. I've I realised I've tried to be a bit ambitious today, so hopefully it will come off as we kind of see the, the, the whole Bible's plan uh, through one particular lens. And so hopefully you can come with me. Um, if Jeff's in the room, I've got another diagram for him, which is great, um, and a little bit of video later, in a, in a video later on. But uh, let me pray and ask God that uh, we can uh, really understand what uh, he has done for us in Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together today and that we can reflect on your word and today as we reflect on the Bible's message as a whole, we ask that you would help us to consider what you have done and the real hope we have for the future in Jesus. Amen. So, can you fix the world? Well, if, you, if I think about me and fixing things, I'm not the greatest at it. If you ask anyone about my family, who is the fix-it person in my family? It, yeah, it's Jen. Jen, if you had a house at the moment, there's like about 10 different things on the go that are being fixed. Jen's responsible for 10 of them. <laughs> and I just help where I can. I'm not the fixer. Who is the fixer of this world? Because I think around us, I think the answer that a lot of people kind of think is that just we can't. We can't. So what we do instead is we just get on with the best we can. We take our patch in life and we try and get the most out of it we possibly can because we look around and we see things aren't working out right 
everything's hard, but maybe we can get some things that are good. We try and get as much enjoyment or satisfaction as we can and we, around the, uh, and we care for people, at least those that we love and our family. We'll care for them and our friends and we do the best that we can. I suspect that that's much of what the people around us, how we live. We just, in, in, even on a subconscious level, we've given up on the world a bit because we've seen how kind of much fixing it needs. So, if I was to ask you the question, what needs fixing? What needs the most fixing in the world, over the world? What are some of the things you might say? What needs fixing? You yell them out to them. You tell me, what needs fixing in this world? People. People. Absolutely. And that was our first week, wasn't it? You've got to fix people if you're going to get anywhere. And it's actually the foundation of everything we've been looking at. Poverty. What else? What are the big problems? Weather, absolutely. It was a little bit hot on Thursday, I thought. I thought it was a couple of degrees over what I felt comfortable in. Um, yeah, but, and all the kind of issues that that brings in our ecosystem in the world and, and what's happening to all sorts of parts of vegetation and animals and all sorts of things, there's a big um, runoff effect. The nation of Africa... He's got all sorts of issues. The world has an education problem in many parts of the world where people aren't being educated, where people aren't being given uh, access to education. The UN lists a whole bunch of big priorities, the United Nations that the world has. Some of them you can see here, and poverty, and even more specifically, food security. We have enough food to supply the world. We're producing enough. We are at the moment at least. But a large percentage of people, we're talking millions, aren't getting it. The water supply can be a big issue and healthy water supply. There are world health issues all over the place and education is a struggle in many different parts of the world and people being um, not given access to it. There's so many problems. But what's the biggest problem that we all like to avoid and not talk about? Death. It's death. We like, we know it's there. We can't avoid it. It's really confronting for us when we face it. And it's heartbreaking. And so we are, as a culture, we have created it in a way because we know we can't avoid it and to deal with it. We do like to push it aside. We don't want to, when we can avoid it, we don't want to see it the most. We like, uh, the, the whole way the funerals are set up is to try and deal with that. And we try and not talk about it as much as we can. And that is why when we're confronted with it, it really feels painful. Some people are confronted with it and they can't avoid it. Those in defence who go to war are confronted with death in a very profound way that has massive impacts on their life. So the first point I want, to, I want us to get to before we really get into the plan of the Bible is, where is God? Where is God? And that was just our little reading today. I just want to highlight where God is in this situation because it's a little bit like, oh, okay. Verse 20 of, of uh, Romans 8 for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope. 
You see, when we think about the problems of the world, the problems aren't outside of God's scope. God has determined that the world is frustrated because of the consequence of our real problem. God is not thinking, oh, look, the world's got all these problems. God is the one, see how it says there, the will of the one who subjected it. God has the world in this position and it's not accidental. But do you notice how it ends with, in hope? This isn't where it ends. This is a consequence of our problems, our ultimate problem. Why then is this big problem, death, the, the problem we need to engage with? Well, I've got two points there. You can see, it takes away any fixing we can do. Now, in the first week in this series, I talked about one of my favourite songs that helps us think about what we need to do in life. Uh, a song in which talks about we use our own two hands to fix the world by Ben Harper. I brought it up in our first uh, talk and we went through it. And I, said, Without, and I said how ridiculous that song is because you can't fix the world with your two hands. No one can. But actually, we can do a lot of good with our two hands, with ourselves. We can contribute to those big issues. We can seek to do better. We can seek to contribute to the people around you. Some people have done amazing things in the world for great benefit. Started up companies to provide all sorts of things. There's a toilet paper company that you buy their toilet paper and they give great resources um, in regards to hygiene around the world. There's that thank you, you know, the thank you water bottles and soaps. That company is doing great things around the world. And there's all sorts of people doing things like that. And then on a local level, we can do things to help people who are struggling. There's lots of things we can do with our hands. But the reality is, even the great that we can do and should do, it's all taken away by death. That's the problem. And it's the consequence of the problem we have created. Death is not just... Have you ever heard death's just a part of life? That's actually not particularly helpful because it's not supposed to be. It is a part of this life now, but it's not supposed to be. It's a consequence of the problem we have created where the Bible talks about constantly and there's this really simple little statement in Romans by Paul which highlights there, the wages of sin is death. I left off the good bit in that verse because we'll get to that later. The wages of sin is death. The fact that we have turned from God means the consequence is this world is broken and we see that all around us and the ultimate brokenness leads to our death. So can we ever fix it? It seems to me we can't fix it ultimately. We haven't got there yet in trying to create clones of ourselves that when this body dies we can use the next body like a shell uh, and so we can move on. We haven't been able to create eternal life in these bodies that decay because death is a reality. And so what I want to try and do today is show you the Bible's plan. 
That's my goal. I'm going to have a crack at it. And what I want you to see, I want to see if you can follow along with me. And if you can't, at the end of what I'm talking about, I've got a video to kind of make that point. So hopefully that'll bring it together if, I've, if you've jumped off on some way. I'll bring you back together. See, the Bible's plan, it's all about how God fixes the world. That's one way you can talk about the Bible. Lots of different themes on that and lots of things about it. But God's plan is that he is going to fix the world. And so we're just going to look at it from five points. We're not going to go into all the points in detail, um, but these are the five ways I thought we'd see the Bible break down. There was no problem. The problem begins. God's plan begins with the people. Jesus fixes the world and then there's a future. And so let's see if you can see how the whole Bible is about this story. I don't even know if you were aware that this book is one whole story, a whole bunch of little books coming together, interwoven beautifully to tell one consistent story about what God's doing for us. Let me see if I can show you that through this way. You see, first of all, there was no problem. In in, uh, Genesis chapter 1 and and chapter 2, we see God makes the world and it's good. And what is the highlight of of God's creation in Genesis 1 and 2, God is with them. God is with his people and, uh, and his people are made in his image in Genesis 1 and 2. I'm not going to go into that detail now. We've been there before in this series and, we, and, uh, and I want us to see some other things. But the picture is good. But what I want to highlight to you today, I don't know if you've thought of this before, is that the garden was a place where... God's creation were actually with God. They were dwelling with Him. That is what a temple is. So the idea of a temple, if that kind of religious word has no real framework for you, is to simply think about it as where God's people, where people can meet with God. That's what a temple does. And so in the beginning, the temple wasn't a... um, a building, it was the garden. God's people, in that sense, God's people meeting there. It was good. Here it is. There's no problem. God is with his people and it's great. And then, the story goes on, the problem begins. You see, there we have a challenge. Because what actually happens is, God's people are with God And what happens in that garden? Actually, at this point, you tell me. This should be something familiar to us. What's the problem here? What do people do? Yeah, what do we mean by sin? What did they actually do? Absolutely, they turned away from God. What they did, God was dwelling with them and Adam and Eve said, we don't want to dwell with you. We'll go our own way. And that's what the story of Genesis 3 and the actual eating of the fruit is fundamentally about. God's peop- uh, uh, humanity rejecting God's way and separating themselves from Him, in rebellion to Him. So instead of dwelling with Him in, in the garden that He has made, they turn away from Him. And so the consequence is then, they get kicked out of the place where you meet with God in the garden. And so from that point on, 
When we read the story of the Bible, we see time and time again how humanity keeps on making this mistake and the problems it causes throughout and ultimately death. Does that make sense? So the story of the Bible is here we've got a great picture. You can see there, there was no problem. And then the problem begins. What's God's plan to fix it? Well, it begins with a people. Abraham's family. Abraham's family. God promises that through Abraham's family, he somehow is going to fix this. And he makes a promise with him. And it's even more than a promise. It's a special relationship called a covenant in which God makes his promises and uh, Abraham and God's people will then commit to those promises and commit to following him. And those promises were fundamentally found in three things, weren't they? Yes, they were. For those of you who aren't aware, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, God promises Abraham that they will have a land to live in and that there'll be many of them. Many, many, many of them. Many offspring. And God will be a blessing to them. Not separated from them, a blessing to them and to the nations. Now, this plan involves something really important. You met God at a temple. And so here's two pictures of a temple. It started off with a tabernacle, it was a tent. If you've read Exodus and you see how when God's people needed to meet with God before they got in the promised land, they had like a roving temple, a tent, where they met with God. And then throughout the Old Testament, we see that temple becomes into the grand temple, the tabernacle becomes this grand temple where they can come and meet with God. Solomon's temple was spectacular. And in the centre of this temple, there was the Holy of Holies. The thing is, though, because God is so good and there's the problem, there needs to be something included in this meeting place. Because the people have a problem and God is holy and good, there needs to be something put in place. And so what actually happens is, in the temple, there is a sacrifice. The thing about this sacrifice is, it's not cute and silly like that picture. It was bloody, it was gory, and it was kind of bizarre as well. God's people needed to make sacrifice of animals to deal with their sin. Like the animal's blood dealt with God's anger towards them and their sin, kind of took on their sin, absorbed their sin, if you like, but took it on, which seems a bit odd, doesn't it? But hopefully it won't in the end. I think sometimes for us today, thinking about animal sacrifice is a little bit like, is is, is as odd as me suggesting to you that I'm going to do ballet as my new sport. It's just weird. It's a bit weird. I'm not, Julie, I'm not. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's odd, it's weird, it's not going to happen. It's really foreign to us. Right? It's it's something that is so far away from us because we're not in this religious context, but 
God had established in the temple where you meet him, the problem has to be dealt with. Let me show you in Exodus 29, kind of some of the beginning of that. Moses is saying to the people, for the generations to come, this burnt offering, this sacrifice of animals, is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet to you, and there also I will meet with the Israelites, and the place will be consecrated by my glory. See, what God is saying is that for us to be able to meet, the problem has to be dealt with. Okay? Um, in Leviticus, that crazy book of all the sacrifices, it talks about this, it, it, how they're going to, this sacrifice is uh, the animal's blood for their blood, atonement. So in Leviticus 17, I didn't put this up on the screen, for the life of a creature is in its blood and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement. This sheep, this blood, this animal sacrifice is to deal, to atone with your rejection of God so you can meet with him. It's supposed to fix the problem. Now, here we have God's plan in action. But you and I, I haven't got a sheep out the back, although there is a sheep in my backyard now. Our neighbours have a sheep. It's driving me a bit crazy and sometimes I have thought about animal sacrifice because that noise is driving me. But I won't go there. But I don't have a sheep out the back because we have moved on. Not past it and we ignore it. It's actually really significant and I want to show you this. Because you see, Jesus fixes the world. And he is a human temple. That is, we meet with God, not in a special building. That's why we can rove around at, uh, at Trinity Church and all our network churches, we're all in different places and we all kind of... Because this thing here we're in is not holy in any way and makes us right with God. Jesus is the place where we meet with God. Jesus actually said... Um, it, it talks about being the temple. In uh, John uh, 1, he's made his dwelling with us. This dwelling is actually tabernacle, is the word. It, God is the tabernacle. Jesus clears the temple in Jerusalem. You know, when he gets all, a little bit angry, rightly, and he, he, he uh, throws everything out and he says he's going to smash down the temple and raise it up in three days. He was talking about himself. You see, Jesus was the temple. Now, when we think about the previous temple, what was there in the previous temple? Let me go back. A sheep and a sacrifice. When Jesus turned up in John's Gospel, what did John say? wonder if you know. Let's have a look. John says... Oh, sorry. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus arrives at Christmas and the point is God with us. The temple, the where we meet with God is he's here. And in the temple where there's something needs to be dealt with so we can meet with God, in Jesus he takes away the sin of the world. The sacrifice of the sheep was just a point to the one who really will take away our sin. Jesus. It's a beautiful image 
that John traces out all the way through, even into the book of Revelation that we've done previously, where we see the lamb and a lion on the throne. Jesus is the one who sacrifices himself for us. And so Christmas is not the key. It's like the great precursor story to the real moment at Easter where Jesus on the cross dies in our place so that you and I can be with God. And that death problem can be defeated. And unlike the sheep that had to be re-sacrificed and the sacrifice and the whole sacrificial system that the Israelites had to do over and over and over again because it didn't really work, it only pointed to something, Jesus dies once in every single thing that we have done wrong. Our rejection of God has been dealt with. Can you see how the Bible is one consistent story? And there's many different ways you see this. This is just one way that I've picked it up for us today because I think it points to how he fixes the world. So if Jesus fixes the world this way and anyone can take this on board, we get to our final point, the future. You see, if the world is fixed by Jesus, we can't stay in this point, can we? Because we do die. It's not fixed. It maybe can be better in Jesus, but it's not completely fixed. But what actually happens is this world is going to come back together with like the garden where it was all harmonious. And we're going to see a new heaven and a new earth. Have a look with me at Revelation 21, verses 1 to 6. I hope these words are familiar with you. If they aren't, I hope they become so familiar to you that you just love them dearly. Let's take them on board. I'm going to put them up on the screen and read through them with you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So, just to go back, this is John, who Jen's talk uh, with the kids is finishing the all-ages spot with them about the picture of heaven uh, that they're doing. This is at the end of this vision that Jesus gave John directly. And this is what he sees. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost for the spring of the water of life. We can't fix the world, 
God's plan is that he will bring it all back together in Jesus and that the eternal earth, the new earth, will be perfect. All the things that our rejection of God have broken, leading to death, he restores in Jesus. The old order of things has passed away. You can now dwell with God. There doesn't need to be a temple where you go in and have some sacrifice because you are now with God without any taint of sin because Jesus has dealt with it. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. That promise to Abraham that you will have a land and you'll be with God and be blessed, and it's all here. And what does it look like? All those tears you've had maybe this week, and the last year that's gone. The physical pain that maybe you've experienced, the emotional anguish that you may have had to deal with, the heartbreaking loss and grief you've had of loved ones dying, the breaking down of relationships that you thought were solid, has passed away. There's no death. There's no mourning or crying in anguish because Jesus has dealt with everything. I love how in verse 6, to the thirsty I will give water without cost. One of our biggest struggles in this world we need to fix is to provide healthy drinking water for everyone in this world. Surely we can get that sorted. Jesus is going to give himself the real water, the real life to all who follow him into all eternity without any cost. Is that a picture that you want to hold on to? I, I want to encourage you to do that. And I really want you to see it with clarity, this, this plan of God to bring us back together. And so I want, to, I want to show you a video. I may have shown this video a couple of years ago. But I want you to see how what we've seen in the Bible, I want to bring it together, kind of consolidate it for us with this picture, of, a video of heaven and earth um, that we'll see now. And you'll see these five points play out. So we can play uh, that video now. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning. 
where heaven and earth they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together, perfectly no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world, and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out, and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible was all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice 
has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus? Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. Thank you. We believe the best way to I hope uh, you can see what God's plan is. Uh, I want you to do something for me today. If you are confused about any of that, I want you to come and ask me a question. I'd love, I'd love you to say, hey, I'm really, I really found that interesting, but I, I'm, I'm confused about this, or I don't understand that. I really enjoy those questions. Ask questions with those um, around you after morning tea. Because you see... Can we ever fix the world? It's clear, isn't it? We can't. God, though, always had this as part of his plan. That we are not stuck here. We are actually living in this space waiting for God to bring all things back to perfect harmony with him through Jesus. It means you and I actually care about what happens in this world now, doesn't it? Because we don't kind of fly off as that picture is into some other place. We care about this place because it's going to be renewed. We actually should want to do good in this world for God's sake and because it's the right thing to do. But we don't think that's what's actually going to fix it. And so I want to ask you, are you interested in the hope God offers. That's what this whole series has been about. How would you fix the world? You know what? You can't. God's got it in control. He will do everything for you. At the heart of the problem are people. You've turned from God, as we've seen today, as we saw in the first week, but I have dealt with it for you. I will fix it. When your authorities let you down, well, Jesus is the ultimate authority. He is the king. He is perfect. When religions forget that actually religion is only rightly found in Jesus, who does everything for us, they won't fix anything. Are you interested in the hope God offers? It's about you knowing that you become a new creation. If you here today have accepted Jesus and what he's done for you, you are new. You've been reborn in that sense. You are a new creation in God and your hope is on that picture in Revelation 21 of a new heaven where there's no pain and suffering and you'll be with God forever. If you haven't done that, if you haven't accepted that Jesus has done that for you, but you realise today you believe it to be true, then in your acknowledging that, 
that you have turned from God and that you trust in him, you are now a new creation. There's no special things that need to happen because we've seen that. There's no temple you need to go to. There's no sacrifice because Jesus has done it. You can know right now today, trusting in Jesus, you, with all of us who follow him, are a new creation. You see, this whole series has been about seeing how the hope of the world has to be found in Jesus. Because he truly does fix the world because it's his world and he's always had this plan in place and that eternity is coming. You know, we, we actually don't belong to this kind of overlap of the periods. We belong to the day when everything will be with God in him. That we will dwell with him in the new Jerusalem, in the new city. That's the day we belong to. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing that song, We Belong to the Day. Let's do that together. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that this world isn't where it ends because the new creation is coming in Jesus. Help us to truly consider how your Bible has a full plan of dealing with it. We thank you that we can dwell with you and in Jesus now, in some sense, we do have that dwelling but we long for the day when we are fully in harmony, dwelling with you into all eternity, where we can truly live with no pain, mourning, suffering. We long for that day. We thank you that we do belong to that day. Amen.